last part of my series on Jesus' Sermon in the Mount, uh, partly because next week we start going into Easter, so I kind of need to wrap up this series uh, before we go into all of that. But it actually works out pretty well because the rest of this passage, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of has to do with the same theme or the same topic of truth and what is true and what is not true. How do we recognize what is true and what are the consequences if we don't sort through what is true and what is not true? So let's go through this together. It's Matthew chapter 7 and we'll begin reading at verse 13. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let's begin our discussion today with the illustration that Jesus uses about a narrow gate that leads to life, and a broad road with a wide gate that leads to destruction. So in this example that Jesus is giving, he's saying that to find truth, to find what is true, is not an easy task, and it's not something that a lot of people just kind of stumble into. It's something that's hard to find, and it's something that you have to go looking for. And because of that, there's not a lot of people on that narrow road. Most people are on that broad road. That broad road that is leading to destruction is full of many people. That's where the majority is going to be found. And part of that comes from just our sinful nature, right? That we want to believe in things that are beneficial for us, and really kind of ignore things that we don't want to acknowledge. And the problem with this is that truth is not determined by consensus. Truth is not determined by the majority of opinion. We can't all just come together and decide how we want things to be, and then reality will change and morph in order to match our opinion of what it should look like. Truth is unchanging. It's not going to be swayed one way or another by our opinions or by what we want things to be like. And so when you have the majority of people trying to make things the way they want them to be and only believing things that 
are nice for them to believe, that make them feel good about what they believe, what you're left with is a majority of people who are missing out on what is actually true. And we can either decide to go with that majority and kind of follow down that broad road that ultimately leads to destruction, or we can search for what is true. There's an excellent movie, it came out in 1957, called Twelve Angry Men. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. But the movie is about a group of jurors who are trying to decide whether or not a man is guilty of the crime he's being accused of. And at the start of the film, all of the jurors come in and they are set, fully decided that this man was guilty, all except for one of them. And that one man believes that there's not enough solid evidence and that the evidence they do have is too circumstantial to be solid proof that this man is guilty. And the movie consists of that one man, rather than just going on with the other 11 of declaring him as guilty so that they can just move on with their lives because nobody likes jury duty, right? You want that to be over as quickly as possible. But he's not fully convinced, and over the course of the movie, you know, sorry for the spoilers if you haven't seen it, he's convincing everyone else in the room that there's not enough evidence to convict this man. And by the end of it, he's made a strong enough case that everyone else in the room is able to say, we cannot with confidence declare this man is guilty. So, sorry for ruining the ending if you haven't seen it, but even with the ending ruined, it's really good. You should go check it out. It's a good movie. But I bring that up to illustrate this idea that just because there is something that the majority of people believe doesn't mean that that's what's right. And rather than just going along with what everyone else says for the sake of being agreeable, we need to make sure that we are looking for that narrow road of what is true, whether or not it's what people want to be true. But we shouldn't let truth be destroyed for the sake of being agreeable with other people, because it's not people who determine what reality is. God has determined what reality is. He has set up what is true and what is not true, what is right and what is wrong. And we need to go looking for that. So then, of course, the question is, well, well, how do we do that? How do we determine what is true and what is not true? And that's when Jesus then goes on to talking about false prophets. And false prophets are not people who clearly take a stance against what other people believe. They aren't coming in and saying, oh, everything you believe is wrong, everything you believe is stupid, uh, and this is what's actually true. That's not how false prophets work, right? They come in like wolves in sheep's clothing, and they treat the teaching that they are giving as though it is good teaching. And sometimes that may be the case simply because it's something false that they believe, and they fully, truly believe that it's true, but it's misguided, and they haven't checked their sources. They haven't double-checked everything to make sure that it's true, but they believe it to be true, they want it to be true, and so they just run off and, and preach it 
as truth to others. Sometimes it's a lot more malicious than that, where people know that what they're saying isn't true, or maybe not the full truth, but they're willing to leave things out in order to convince people that what they believe is right. And Jesus says with people like that, people that are presenting this teaching as something that is good and something that is true, you need to be on the watch for that and be able to recognize that it is false. And the way he gives us to do that is by looking at the fruit, looking at the results of what is being taught. Because truth can be recognized by its fruit. Truth can be recognized as, is this something that when you take it out of the realm of theory, right? Because we can have a lot of different theories, but when you test that against reality and you put it into practice and into practical situations, does that theory still hold up? Does it still hold water? Or is it something that falls apart as soon as you try to apply it into a real situation? Or maybe it's true for a short time, but it doesn't last, right? You can stack a whole bunch of blocks on top of themselves, and they might stand for a short while, but all it takes is a, is a small little breeze to come along to knock the whole thing over, and you realize that it was not as sturdy as it first looked. So what we want to do is when we encounter teaching, that we don't simply accept it at face value, but we test it to see whether or not the result of that teaching is good. And so we check the fruit. Now, Scripture also shows us what good fruit looks like, what fruit that comes from God and not from sinful people looks like. In Galatians chapter 5 at verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that is what good fruit looks like. Good fruit produces joy, faithfulness, peace, love, self-control. So when we look at the teachings that people are giving, and we look at the long-term results, right? Not just short-term results, long-term results. And we need to look at those results and check, is this something that is bringing joy into people's lives? Is this something that is making them more peaceful or more anxious, more calm or more distraught? Is this something where some kind of self-control needs to be implemented? Because with our sinful nature, right, what naturally draws us are things that are sinful, things that are harmful to us, things that are selfish. And those things almost always lead to destructive results. So is this a teaching where we have to rein that in a little? And rather than just doing whatever we want or whatever feels good, is there an element of self-control at work here? Is it being done in gentleness or in harshness? Is it building people up or tearing them down? So these are the things that we can look at 
and we look at those results, not just the theory, right? Not just the teaching in theory, but the results of when that teaching is implemented. Because some of the worst things in the world are done with the best of intentions. And sometimes what is meant to be helpful ends up being more harmful than helpful. I remember at my work, we were doing a whole lot of remodeling. And my supervisors had this good idea of putting all of the things that people use in kind of the same place. So that they could go to one place whenever they needed something. And everything that they would need would be right there. And that's a good theory, isn't it, right? That it's all in one place, it's all consolidated, so whenever somebody needs something, there it is. Well, what happened when that was put into practice was that that became a high-traffic, very crowded area that led to a whole lot of frustration because everybody was constantly in that same spot. There was always somebody there and somebody else who needed to get in there to get to something. And people would, I I would just watch as people became more and more frustrated by the fact that there was always somebody there and there, you had to move past all these people and it was a great inconvenience. So when I suggested that we kind of spread those things out a little bit, And we tried that, you know, they said, okay, we'll try it. And if it doesn't work, we can put it back. But as we spread those things out across the space that we had, you could just see in people's demeanor the relief of being able to go and get something that they needed without having to walk through a huge crowd in order to get it. And, and the result was so evident and, and immediately evident that it stayed that way ever since. And there's a lot of teaching like that in the world that on paper it sounds good. And to argue against it, you must, you must just not be getting it. Or you must have ulterior motives or just be unsupportive and a troublemaker. And why can't you just get on board with what we're saying and what we're trying to do? There's a lot of teaching like that in the world. But we need to ask those questions of what is the result of that teaching when it's put into practice. And make sure that we are examining those results to make sure that it is producing good fruit, fruit of the Spirit, rather than just causing more problems. And as we examine those results, we will be able to determine pretty well What is good teaching and what is bad teaching? But with that in mind, we also need to recognize that these tools that we have been given in order to help recognize what is true and what is harmful, that those things are not what determines what is right and what is wrong. And that is what Jesus' next warning is all about where he warns us that not everyone who calls him Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he lists things here that we would all say, these are the signs, this is the fruit that shows that this person is serving God. 
Somebody who prophesies in God's name. He drives out demons. He performs miracles. There's some of us who love God and follow Jesus, and and we wish we saw more miracles in our day-to-day life. So clearly, somebody who's performing many miracles must be in the right with God. And yet Jesus is warning that even these people, that there will be some people performing miracles, driving out demons, prophesying in his name, that he will reject. Reject those who are doing these good works. Because even though their life was producing good fruit, it was fruit of their own making and not of God's making. It was what they were deciding to do and going out and doing on their own. But they were just slapping God's name on it to make it look better, and it wasn't really coming from God. Or maybe God was using them to do his work, but they were keeping their hearts far away from God. And God can use anything for the work of his kingdom. He can use animals. He can use people who reject him to still do the work of his kingdom. And we need to realize that just because someone is doing good works, and even just because it's got God's name on it, it has a thus saith the Lord at the start of it, doesn't mean that it is in God's will. And what is right and what is wrong and what is truth and what is false is not determined solely by the end result. Because sometimes the ends don't justify the means. And just because the ends were good doesn't mean that everything involved in it was also good. There are still times when a bad apple slips into a good fruit basket. And just because, as a whole, the fruit basket is good, doesn't mean that 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 bad apple was also good. So we need to be watchful and remember that as we are trying to recognize what is right and what is good and what is true, as we're trying to recognize that from the results of those things, to remember that those results are not what determines what is good and what is false. It's helpful for us to have something that we can do to help us determine that for our own life and be able to recognize it, but to realize that ultimately God is the one who determines what is righteous and what is sinful. And unless we continually submit our lives to God, we can end up preaching truth from our mouths, but not have it at root in our hearts and our lives. Think of every church scandal or pastor scandal that's out there. It seems like there's so many, probably partly because anytime there is one, media is just so anxious and ready to jump on it and and show, see, this person wasn't practicing what they were preaching, therefore the whole thing is false, which one bad apple, right, one bad representative doesn't necessarily reflect the person he is representing. So we need to remember that. 
But we've all seen it, haven't we? Oh, this pastor of this mega church that had hundreds or thousands of people who attended it was caught in this great big scandal and he was doing things he shouldn't have been doing and and we see it all the time. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those people who go out and do great things in his name and they can build great churches and they can have vastly successful ministries and and all these things but when you take all of that away and you get down to just the person it's not someone who is walking with god it's not someone who has their own heart and life right with god and what a warning that is for us to not just say, oh, of course I'm serving God well. Yeah, I'm, I'm walking in the will of God because look at how successful my ministry is or look at this thing that I've done or that thing that I've done because that's not what determines whether or not we are in the right place with God. That's determined by whether or not we're being submissive and obedient to him. And that we aren't just doing our own thing and and putting God's name on it. But just like as Jesus said, he did nothing except for what he saw the Father doing. He only did what God instructed him to do. That's what he went and did. It wasn't of his own doing, but of the Father's. Because when you really get down to the root of the issue... Your success is not determined by how much fruit you produce. It's determined by where you are in your relationship with God. Because our relationship with him is not just supposed to be accepting him as our savior. right? It's not just as savior where, okay, he paid the price for our sin, so we'll let him pay the price of our sin We don't have to pay that price anymore. Now I can go and do whatever I want. That's not what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. He's supposed to be both our Savior and our Lord. Meaning that he has authority over your life. That you give him that authority over your life. Not so he can go run it into the ground, because that's not what he wants to do. He wants to give you a life that will prosper a life that is full of this joy and love and peace and all of the other blessings that he wants to bestow upon us and to lead us into the good work of his kingdom that is so much more meaningful because it has eternal value than anything else this world can offer. And that's what he wants to lead us into but he can only do as much in our life as we are willing to allow him to do. He doesn't just want to be our savior. He wants to be Lord of our life as well. And so I want to leave us today with that question of do you allow God to be Lord in all areas of your life? Does he have the final authority in who you are, in what you say, in what you think, in what you believe? 
Or are there parts of your life that you keep hidden away because you do not want to submit him before God? It's an all or nothing thing. You either accept him as Lord of your whole life or you make yourself Lord of your life. And if that's the case, then you are not serving God. You are not recognizing who he truly is. And your relationship is not right with him. And it doesn't matter what kind of other success you have in your life unless you have that aspect right with God. Your life is not founded on truth. And that's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me either in the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you, wherever you're listening to this, like it, share it, rate it, all of those things that help promote this program and, and get it out for other people to see as well. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. Walk in the truth of God. Be watchful for what is true and what is false. And don't let it be determined by what everyone is saying or by what the majority think. Let God show you that narrow road that leads to the truth that brings life and life abundantly. So remember that. And until next time, I pray that God will bless you for your obedience, and I'll be back with you next week to study more of His Word. Thank you for listening.